Let me pray real fast before we jump in. God, thank you for this series. This series called Different. It has been amazing. Lord God, I, I thank you and we praise you that this has been a series that has truly impacted this church, maybe like no other series we've ever done, when it comes to the spiritual growth of all of us. And God, I pray as we close out this series this morning, that you would truly pull it all together for us, that we would continue to submit to your will, to be obedient to your Holy Spirit, as, Lord, we try to live out our faith and become more like your Son, Jesus Christ. So prepare our hearts, prepare our minds for what you want to say to us this morning. We love you, we thank you, we praise you for all that you're doing in our lives, and we pray that it would continue, that you continue to work on our hearts, to work on our minds, to work on our lives. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, it says, Consider it, you think you're, I was going to kind of let you off easy going out of the series. Not a chance, okay? Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work, so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Wow. So last week, we talked about the biblical definition of happiness, right? The biblical definition of happiness. And we said that we can find true happiness and joy in our lives if we will love the Lord our God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind. We can find happiness, right? We talked about what biblical happiness was. We can find happiness, we can have joy, we can have peace, we can have contentment, we can have those things. If we will love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, strength, if we love him more than anything else. We said that Jesus wants us to find happiness even in the valleys, if you will. We talked about through the process, even in the valleys of life, during the struggles of life. In Psalm 23, it says, surely goodness and love will follow you all the days of your life. Right? Though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and at the end it says, surely goodness and love will follow you all the days of your life. It doesn't say it will follow you some of the days, a few of the days. It says all the days of your life. And I ask the question, if, if, if goodness and love followed you all the days of your life, would you not be happy? For goodness sakes, that's the very definition of happy. Having goodness and love follow you all the days of your life. So now here in James chapter 1 verse 2, James is telling us that we should find, we should find joy, that we should find joy in life's challenges, in life's trials, in life's difficulties. Now, the normal human response to that is, do what? Like when, like when I, when I was going, I was like, what you, what you talking about, Willis? Right? Remember that? <laughs> like James is saying, he's like, what you talking about, James? What, you, <laughs> what are you saying here? 
I'm supposed to find joy, happiness. I'm supposed to find contentment, all those things, even during the, the challenges of life. Jesus says something similar in Matthew chapter 5 in verse 10. He says, blessed or happy, as we studied last week, are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Can we truly be happy? Can we truly be joyful through life's difficulties? That's the question. Can that, can that, is that real? Okay, so we need to remember that who James is talking to here. James is not writing or talking to a bunch of rich Romans. All right, that's not who he's speaking to here. He's writing to a group of people who have gone through and are going through some really Awful persecution. They're going through poverty. But he purposely uses the words trials of many kinds. Trials of many kinds. We, we all, every single person here is not going to get out of this world without having trials in your life, without having temptations in your life, without having difficulties in your life, without having challenge in your life. There's not a person in this room who's going to get through this life without facing a bunch of difficulties and, and discouraging things that go on in our lives. And, 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 and James is encouraging believers. He's encouraging believers to respond to their troubles, to respond to their hardships, to respond to their temptations, no matter how, how, no matter how large they are, no matter how difficult it may seem, by counting those experiences, by considering those experiences joy. That's what he's saying. Consider whatever experiences you're going through as joy. What in the world? Okay, just reading that. What in the world can that mean? And why would James have such high expectations for people that are going through such challenging and difficult circumstances? Again, he's not writing to rich Romans. I mean, ultimately he is. He's writing to everyone. But he's talking to people who are going through persecution, intense persecution, poverty, difficulties. How? And he's challenging them with this. Last week, when I was finishing at two bowl services on the way out, different people would come to me and said, okay, listen, Pastor, I understand the concept. Okay? I understand, I totally understand the concept of being happy or being joyful uh, during the challenges, life's challenges. So, you know, I, I get what you're saying intellectually, cognitively, I understand what you're saying, but then how do you do that? Like, how do you do that? Like, because people were saying, I don't feel happy, okay? I don't feel joy in my heart when I'm going through a difficulty. When I found out something medically that was just devastating to me, I didn't feel joy, I didn't feel all happy about it. So, so I don't feel good in the midst, in other words, that's what people are saying. I don't, I didn't, I don't feel good in the midst of my struggle. So what does it mean? As usual, the context is key to understanding the meaning of scripture. What is the context of this scripture? Well, in James chapter one, verses three and four, which we just read, it provides crucial information to what this passage actually means. First up, James does not, okay, does not command Christians to feel happy. He's not commanding us to feel happy in the midst of our trial. 
So you're, you're in the, all of a sudden you find something out. He's not commanding me to feel happy in the midst of my trial. He tells us, this is so important. He tells us to consider it. That's thoughtful. Okay, if you look at the original, it's, it's thoughtful. To consider it, to consider it joyful. So here, get, this is important. You can even write this down, okay? What he wants us to do, he, he wants us to label or he wants us to categorize it as something worth rejoicing over. So we want to label it or categorize it, that, that experience that you're going through, as something that you can find joy in, that you can re, it's worth rejoicing over. The word count is often used. If you go through some of your Bibles, if you're looking at it right now, some of them will say count and some will say consider. So the word count is often used in, in translations instead of the word consider. Count is from a Greek word. He, she, he, she, it's called, it says, he, she, sasthi. H-E-G-E-S-A-S-T-H-E. He, she, sasthi. And that is an accounting term. It comes, the original word comes from accounting. Now, now I want you to, I want you to kind of draw this all in because this is so important to what he's talking about here. It means to organize or to collect things. Okay? It's putting something of utmost importance, putting something first in your life. So it's like, it's this accounting term. James is saying, okay, James is actually saying that we should enter our hardships. We should enter our difficulties, we should enter our trials, we should enter our challenges as deposits into our life account, not withdrawals. That's what he's saying. If you're thinking it through, and you're in your, it says consider, okay, thoughtful, that you should enter that trial into your life account as a deposit, okay, something to be gained, something that can be used, something that has value. So he says, consider it, count it as a deposit, not as a withdrawal from your life. Grab those two concepts. This is important because depending on how you see your trial and your or your temptation or your challenge or your difficulty or whatever it is, depending on how you're looking at it, how you're seeing it, how you're thinking about it, how you how you're categorizing it, how you're labeling it will determine, Okay, for some people, the rest of your life. Think about this. This is important. See it. He's saying you need to see it as a deposit, not as a withdrawal. It's like, wait a second. This is starting to make a little sense. Now, this is key. He's not talking about my immediate emotional response to my car breaking down. I'm driving down the road. I'm going up a hill and all of a sudden my car breaks down. <laughs> this is awesome. <laughs> no, it isn't. Right. Or uh, finding out that I have, uh, that I'm sick in some way. That I have some physical thing going on in my life. Or finding out that you just lost a loved one. Oh, that's awesome! No, no it isn't. He's not talking about my immediate emotional response to a certain situation. That's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about how we categorize, how do you categorize that moment when we're assessing our life as a whole? 
How is Jeff categorizing? How am I labeling that event as I assess my life as a whole? Okay, as I bring it all together. James is saying we, you and I can, we can decide how we will describe any moment, any experience to ourselves. You can describe any moment, any experience to yourself. I was talking to one of our elders after a meeting last week, and we were talking about some of the most trying and challenging times that our church has ever experienced in the history of our church. And I was saying, we would not be where we are today if it wasn't specifically for that most difficult experience a church has ever faced in its history. We would, we would, and in a very, in very practical terms, what I'm saying to you is, I can go back and if you ask me, what was the most challenging time in the history of Grace Chapel? I would describe it to you. And I would tell you, and I can take a line from here, from there to here, and show you exactly how that event brought us to the, to the place where we are right now in our church's history, which is extremely healthy, doing really well, it's growing, where, I mean, people spiritually are on fire, okay, all of those things, and I can, I can draw you back here, tell you about this event, this experience, this trial, this difficulty, and how it directly affects this. So when I talk to you about that trial, I rejoice. I can find joy. I can, I'm happy about that happening. If you look at my, if you look at the whole existence of our church, that event brought about this day. It's how we, it's a deposit. It is not a withdrawal. You know, that's so, it's so important. I think of my childhood. The experiences that I had in my childhood have made me the person that I, the personality, the person that I am today. I, I'm, I'm extremely passionate. Okay. I, I, I care. I feel deeply in, in, in so many situations. My, my family will tell me, you get excited or you're passionate about your, how you toast your bread in the morning. You know what I mean? It's just, that's my, that's my personality. I, I, I am a relentless, I'm a passionately relentless person. Where does that come from? I'm telling you, I can go back and those experiences of childhood have changed my life in so, in so many ways. Let me describe my experience with my grandfather growing up. I'll say eight, nine, ten, eleven years old. So I'm nine or ten years old and I, my, my mother takes me to Florida. My parent, my grandparents lived in Florida. My grandfather was down there, my grandmother, and my grandfather's an alcoholic. He was an alcoholic. So I go down there. My mother didn't know what was the interactions that he and I had a lot of the time. I didn't say anything. But I went down there. She dropped me off for a couple weeks. Now, I'm in Florida. You know, there's some good fishing in Florida. You know me, right? So my grandfather would say, you want to go fishing? And, I, and I'm like, do you have to ask? You know what I mean? There are bodies of water everywhere. This is great. Lakes and streams and you know, oceans. And so he would get in the car. He would drink before he got in the car. And then he would want to get away from my grandmother by saying, let's take Jeff fishing. And we would go in the car and he would drink in the car. My parents were divorced and my grandfather, when he would get drunk, loved to rip on my father. And so he would just, we would be driving for a few hours while he just goes off on my father this, my father that, he was such this. And then he would, as the alcohol would continue to mess his mind up, he would continue then to say, and you're just like your father, right? And then he would go off for another hour and, and verbally, he verbally assaulted me, if you will. He was a verbally abusive person. 
basically as, as far back as I can remember, the guy was in a, a verbally, he would harm me with his words. Okay? But I'm saying to you this morning, I count it all joy. I consider it pure joy. You know why? I have seven grandkids. I'm a grandfather. You know how I interact with my grandkids? Now, some of you are grandparents and you have great relationship with your grandchildren. But you know what's in my mind when I interact with my grandkids? Not just this intense love I feel them. I want to pick them up. I want to hold them. I want to hang out with them. But my words are really important. I, I'm very careful how I communicate with my grandchildren. Because I am well aware how powerful words can be coming from a parent or a grandparent or a teacher. And so as I interact with my grandchildren, even when I have to tell them not to do something, I think, how can I I say this in a way that is encouraging, that is positive, that they can learn from this, but it's not going to be something harsh and thoughtless. In my all seven, I think that through. I interact with them, and honestly, I can go back and say, this experience here had a profound impact, and I count it as joy. I see it as a deposit in my life. I can use that experience now here in 2019 as I'm a grandfather and how I interact with my grandchildren. It's not a withdrawal. Oh man, oh he would have. And I, and I ended up having a, a good relationship with my grandfather. I spent my, I spent time at his bedside while he had cancer and he was dying and he would spit up and I would wipe the spit off his face and I would read him scripture. I baptized him before. So I didn't, I don't have a terrible ending with my grandfather. But that experience I had with him, I can count it pure joy because I count it as a deposit into my life. Not my grandfather depositing anything into my life. That's a choice that I'm making to allow God to use that experience to make me a stronger person myself as I interact with children in the church, as I interact with children. Because I recognize very clearly how words can have such a powerful effect. I mean, think about it yourself. There are, you, someone could say a hundred nice, kind things to you. And that one time where they said something harsh or nasty or hurtful or a put down, you, were, you don't recall the other 99, do you? What do you recall? The one. That's how powerful words can be. That's why we have to see this as it is. Now, now we may not be able to control our circumstances. You and I may, well, let me back up a little bit. Ever heard the phrase, hurt people, hurt people? Right? You ever heard people say that abuse, abused people often become the abusers themselves? Why? Because they see that experience as a withdrawal. And don't you let, don't even think, I'm thinking, oh, it's no big deal, abuse and all that kind of stuff, it's all work out perfectly, God will win. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying I'm a grown adult. I can choose, okay, how I'm going to use the events. The person who, Hurt people hurt people see that event as only a withdrawal and only something negative. It cannot be redeemed in any way possible. And so hurt people hurt people. Abusers, be some t- people who are abused sometimes abuse others. My grandfather verbally abused me. There's no two ways about it. I have never once in my life even come close to verbally abusing my grandchildren. It's a deposit, not a withdrawal. So we may not be able to control the circumstances that we find ourselves in, but we can control how we think about those circumstances. Not always how, we, how we're going to feel in the moment. 
Something happens to you, something drastic, someone says something to you, you're not going to feel wonderful in the moment at first. That's impossible. I've come to the conclusion no one gets to the point where something happens and all of a sudden they can just react to it without any kind of... No, we're going to feel we need to feel. There's nothing wrong, there's nothing sinful about feeling feeling what you're feeling in a situation. Let me switch it over. When you recall a difficult time in your life, here's what you can say. This, this, was, this is terrible. This is, this is, this is so terrible. It, my life stinks. My life, my life is just so hard. I, I don't know why. You know, God, why did it happen to me? Why me? Why me? Why me? We just, and then my, it's over. That happened. My life stinks. It's over. That's, that's one way we can think about it. Or, or you can say, man, that was difficult. That man, that was it was difficult, but you know what? I'll get through it or I've gotten through it. And I can use that to strengthen me. I don't like it. I would have liked to avoid it next time, but I can use that to strengthen me. I can consider it pure joy because I know that God can use it to my ultimate good. If I allow him to, if I count it. Pure joy. God can use that to my ultimate good. I don't want bad things to happen to any of you. But I don't think I can stop them from happening to you. God can use it for our ultimate good. Remember what Joseph said to his brothers? Remember Joseph? Remember what happened to Joseph? Man, if you're Joseph, you're making a list of like a hit list. This guy right here, the baker, the candlestick maker, they're all going down. You know what I'm saying? They're all going down. My brothers, my, you know, it's like this guy, that guy. I mean, every time he turns around Potiphar's wife, Potiphar for not listening and believing him. I mean, you'd make a hit list. Not, not Joseph, because he understood this concept. Genesis 50:20. You intended to harm me, he said, but God intended it for good. To accomplish what is now being done. The saving of many lives. God can do that in our lives as well. The key is we need to understand how those cha- that challenge fits into our lives. Or better yet, how God can fit that experience into our lives as a deposit. Not as a withdrawal. Think about it. Try here, Here's like... I don't care if you. This is your first time in church. I want you to think about this. It's very practical. Um, it's it's, re- it's really really simple. Uh, trials are going to come into your life. Period. Okay. The, you are not going to uh, uh, trials, temptations, difficulties, challenges. Use whatever your word you want. They are coming into your life. Period. Struggles are coming, like it or not. We live here in a fallen world. They are coming. They've come. They're probably happening right now. And they're going to continue to come, like it or not, whether you, whether you're sitting here and say, well, you're a pastor, what do you, whether you're a follower of Jesus Christ or whether you're an atheist, you're going to experience trouble in your life. You're going to experience those difficulties, those trials, all those things. The only question is, how are you going to let them affect you? How are you going to count them? That's the question. Right? So you can sit here and go, I don't really like what you're saying, or I'm not really sure I tell, but all I'm saying is trials are coming, period. You're going to struggle whether you like it or not. The only question is, I'm asking you this morning, what James is asking us this morning is, will we count it, okay, as a deposit, or will we count it as something 
That is a withdrawal from my, takes from our lives. And there's nothing good that we can get out of any of these things. James says that we need to see them as the testing of our faith. A test that will make us stronger. What does he say? Mature. Complete. Not lacking anything. That's what he's saying. Let, let perseverance have its way. Okay? So that you can be stronger. So that you can be mature in Christ. Because again, what did we say last week? Holiness and happiness are the same. You cannot be holy and not be happy. You cannot be biblically happy and not be holy. That's just the way it goes. We can achieve what he is calling us to achieve here. We can achieve it. Let me, let me get even more specific. You say, well, okay, more, more, how, how, how? Okay, one of the best ways that, that you, can, you can achieve this kind of, I'm going to call it an attitude of a heart. One of the best ways to achieve this kind of attitude of the heart is to prepare in advance. You need to prepare in advance of what's going, like I said, there's no way around this. It's going to happen, period. Struggles are coming, whether you like it or not. So you and I need to prepare in advance, okay, for these things. If you know trials are coming, you need to decide beforehand how you're going to deal with those struggles. Now, not the emotion. That's impossible to do. That's it. I was talking to my wife, Deb, yesterday. We were driving the road. We were talking about the sermon a little bit. And we said there's nothing wrong with, with feeling an emotion in the circumstance. Matter of fact, God designed us that way. It, you know, you could say, I'm fearless. Okay? If there's a thousand-pound brown bear coming at you, okay, run for you. Let the adrenaline and fear and, you know, your hair stand and run faster. You know what I'm saying? You, that's okay. Feeling it. Okay. I'm not talking about feeling it in the moment. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about not the emotions, but the decision. It is okay to feel our emotions in the moment, but don't let those emotions determine your ultimate decision. That's what he's saying. You're going to feel it in the moment, but don't let that emotion, don't let that feeling determine the ultimate outcome, the ultimate decision that you make. How will you categorize that event? When the whole, in your whole life, how will you categorize that event? Now, you could say to yourself again, that event changed my life. And I'll tell you what, it changed my life and I will never recover. I ne- I'll never overcome that. You know, it, 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 it's, uh, I will never, I will never trust again. I will never see myself the same way again. In other words, I am a victim. I'm a victim. I'm done. That happened to me. Just close the book. There are no new chapters. I'm done. How many of you have ever known, hung out with, or, you know, had a Navy SEAL for a friend? Anybody had a Navy SEAL? You knew a Navy SEAL? Okay. I had a couple. So I've been fortunate to have a Navy SEAL. I want to describe, I want to describe to you what it actually takes to be a Navy SEAL. Okay. Kind of go through these. In order to be a Navy SEAL, you have to be on active duty in the uh, Navy, in the U.S. Navy. 
So you have to be on active duty. You have to be 28 years or younger. Though they will make exceptions for people like Pastor Kevin, who can drive across the country. Now, you're a little too old, Kevin. But they'll make exceptions if you're 29 or 30, if you're in exceptional strength and health, okay? But it's 28 years old, usually, and younger. Um, you have to be a U.S. citizen. You, you have to pass the Armed Services Vocational Aptitude Battery. Then you have to be, you have to have amazing eyesight. Okay, yeah, that's a must. You have to be able to swim the length of five football fields. All right? Five football fields. And then after you swim those five football fields, they give you a 10-minute rest. Then after your simple 10-minute rest, you have to do 42 push-ups in under two minutes, okay, and get a two-minute rest. Then you have to do 50 sit-ups in under two minutes, and then you get a little two-minute rest. Then you have to run all at the same time. This is not like Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, you know what I'm saying? This is like after you ran, after you swam 500 yards, all right, then you have to, you have your sit-ups under two minutes two minutes rest then you have to in full uniform run a mile and a half at under 11 and a half minutes all right so so far that's what you have to do that just qualifies you okay that's the cutoff for all the, the weaklings or whatever that's that just that you are so long you are so far off from being a navy seal at this point okay that just qualifies you to be in the navy seal program seals are extremely good at what they do okay no seal no navy seal has ever been left behind on a mission and no navy seal has ever been taken prisoner I mean, th- think about how long they've been around. Never been taken prisoner. Once, once a potential Navy SEAL qualifies, it's just, it's just, like I said, it's just the beginning. You have two and a half years of intense training, okay, to get your Trident pin. So you get your Trident pin. You have, it's two, two and a half grueling years. Only 25% of the people, the trainees who go in and say, I want to be a Navy SEAL, actually become Navy SEALs. There are only 3,000 active Navy SEALs in the world today. 3,000, the entire country, 300 million people, right? 3,000 Navy SEALs on duty. The training is brutal. It is brutal and designed. It is literally designed to push them to the limit. And you say to yourself, why? Why? Because they are preparing in advance for the battles they are going to have to face. I don't know many Navy SEALs, okay, in their careers who've never been in intense battles, door-to-door, like they go door-to-door in Iraq or whatever else, going into caves, right, tracking people down. They are preparing, and they know, they know, put these two things together, they know the trials, the difficulties, the battles, the skirmishes, the, the firefights, they know they're coming, period, and there's no way around it. They know they're coming. So they're preparing in advance for what they know is going to be happening in their lives. If they can't take the heat when in the kitchen, when no one's life is on the line, I can pretty much guarantee you they're not going to be able to take the heat when life is actually on the line. Now, you may thinking right now, 
Come on, man, pastor, how am I supposed to prepare in advance if I don't know what's actually coming? Well, Navy SEALs, okay, they don't know what's actually coming. They know it's going to be a lot of times bloody and nasty and grueling, okay? And so they prepare for any situation that they're going to face. They drop them in the desert. They drop them in the jungle. They drop them in Antarctica. They drop them where they are. Drop them in the middle of the ocean. They drop them on land. They drop them everywhere. They fly them in the space. I don't know. They're, they're prepared regardless of whatever situation they're going to face. They know something difficult and challenging is coming. So they prepare in advance to make sure they're ready to take on whatever enemy is going to come at them. Is this starting to like make spiritual sense here? Right? Well, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't, I, neither do I, but you know what? It's going to be something physical. It's going to be something emotional. It's going to be something spiritual. Right? So you better prepare for all seals. Seals are trained to perform in any and every environment. Now, here's the other thing. I was processing this through. I don't think the seals are feeling happy and joyful on their 500-yard swim, okay? And once they get out of the water, they're 42 push-ups in under two minutes, and then they're 50 sit-ups in under two minutes, and then they're a mile-and-a-half run in under 11 minutes. I don't think, hoo-hoo, yeah! <laughs> Man, this is fun! This is awesome! I don't think they're feeling that, but here, here's the thing. There is incredible, there is incredible satisfaction and indescribable joy when they pass that test and they know, here it is, come on, they know that no matter what comes at them, no matter what the enemy throws at them, they can handle it. No matter what's coming down the road, they are prepared for whatever comes their way, they're prepared to handle it. Another thing about Navy SEALs is they're always, they're constantly training. They go through all that. Two and a half years, okay? When's the last time you saw a Navy SEAL who didn't look like a Navy SEAL? Right? I mean, certain people you see in uniform, you're like, oh, yeah, you know, he's, yeah. Well, thank God he's got a gun, you know what I'm saying? Um, to protect himself. But, but Navy SEALs, every one of them looks like, you know, David Vermont, you know what I'm saying? They're all, they all look like that. Why? Because they're constantly, constantly training. They're constantly developing their skills. And they're also developing new skills and new techniques that will make it make a huge difference when they have to go into battle. You think, well, I've been a Christian. I've read the Bible all the way through. Once? Really? What happens when the battle, what, ha- what happens when the storm comes? What happens when the battles rage? You gotta be able to pull scripture. You gotta be able, I don't care if you can give me chapter and verse. You just need, you have to remember that it's there. You have to be able to quote it in your mind. And you know what? It doesn't matter if anybody, where was that found? Well, somewhere in the Bible, as long as you know. I mean, it'd be good to know where you can find it and tell someone else, but it needs to be just literally a part of like, it's muscle memory, right? When you do Taekwondo or karate or whatever you do, these guys, they're prepared. If something happens, I remember listening to one on TV and he said, the way you survive really difficult situations is you have to think beforehand what may come so you're prepared to deal with it. That's exactly what the guy said. That's what he said. 
So their skills are always being honed. Why? Because they are going, they know they're going to battle and they want to be on top of their game all the time. For the Christian, you know what that's called? Anybody just give a thought. Something that's ongoing. What is an ongoing thing, part of our, what is that called? Anybody? Thank you. Sanctification, right? Sanctification is that ongoing spiritual development. We get justified, just as if I'd never sinned. We're covered with the blood of Christ. You know, we, we, we can't lose our salvation. And then sanctification is this ongoing spiritual development. Now, let's go back to James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature, complete, not lacking anything. I mean, not lacking anything. Not lacking anything. Not lacking anything. That means if I go into battle, I'm not lacking anything. I'm totally prepared. I'm complete. I'm mature. Not lacking anything. Whatever the enemy throws at me, I'm going to be able to handle it. We are called by God to be set apart. And that means we need to think differently. And we need to respond differently. Even in the most challenging circumstances. We need to think. We we are set apart for God. We are God's people. We need to think differently. We need to respond differently. The Israelites were God's chosen people. And the Israelites thought, because we're set apart, we're set apart. We're God's children. We're God's chosen people. They thought that that was going to make their lives easier. Right? We got a God, you don't boo-boo, nan-nana, whatever, nan-nana, boo-boo. You know what I'm saying? They thought it was going to make their lives, make their lives easier. But they were surprised to learn that being chosen, that being set apart by being God's people, they were expected to live life, live out life's difficulties with perseverance. Wait a second. I thought this was going to be a cakewalk. What planet are you on, people? No, it means that you need to be different. You need to be set apart from me. You need to handle these circumstances with perseverance. You need to handle these trials with perseverance. There's a difference. Being chosen by God was a privilege and they should, they should have felt great joy in that. But instead, a lot of the times they felt doubt, they felt fear, and they were whining constantly. Well, man, what happened? You know, they get through one thing and then they start whining and whining and whining. Whining and whining instead of feeling joy, instead of being excited, instead of feeling happy and knowing what Luke twelve forty eight says, because they should have known this already from from everyone to whom much has been given, much will be required. And from the one to whom much has been entrusted, even more will be demanded. OK, so I'm looking at myself and God already says, if you say you're a pastor you say you're a teacher, uh, you say you're a leader in my church, from everyone to whom much has been given, much will be required. And from the one whom much has been entrusted, even more will be demanded. Being set apart for God should never be seen as a burden. It should be seen as an honor. And we should count it all joy. Being God's, being, you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people who, who belong to God, God's special possession. 
that shouldn't that shouldn't bring any kind of burden. That should be an honor and we should count it joy. Hoo-yah is what the Navy SEALs say, right? You ever hear that? There's different versions. Okay, Navy SEALs say hoo-yah and then there's hoorah, whatever. That depends on where you, they say. They say hoo-yah. It's the battle cry of the Navy SEALs. It becomes an automatic response to a Navy SEAL when he's going through this just, just, just tor- torturous um, trial that he's going through. These testing, the, all that they had to go through to get their trident pin. They hoorah. They go through it, man, and they're just doing things to them that are not human and they want to make sure these guys are prepared for battle and they're like, Hoorah! Hoorah is a verbal acknowledgement. Here's what it's a verbal acknowledgement about. No matter what you throw at me, no matter what the world brings to me, no matter how challenging this is, no matter how difficult this is, no matter how tall that mountain is, or how many ropes I have to climb, or things I have to jump over, or rivers I have to swim, I will not be defeated by that challenge. Hoorah! That's what it means. Give me 50 more. Hoorah! Thank you. That's what it means. That's, that's, the, that's their battle cry. When the apostles were preaching the gospel in opposition to the Jewish religious leaders at the time, the Sanhedrin had them arrested, okay, and some of them were killed. And you know what their response was when it was all over? Hoorah! That's what it says in Acts chapter 5, verse 41. We're told the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing, rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Hoorah, they said. Because our buddies are now standing with Christ in heaven. They got, they beat us to heaven. And most of them didn't survive. You know what they went down saying? Hoorah. Not like that, though. <laughs> right? That's what, I'm ta- that's what we're talking about. Suffering for Christ was an honor. Suffering for Christ was an honor. So they weren't discouraged. They weren't angry. They weren't bitter. They didn't, they didn't shake their fists at God and call him names and cuss him out. That's not what they did. They, they went through, they went through what they went through and they considered it pure joy. Hiji sasti, hiji sasti. How do you count it? How do I count it? Hiji sasti. How do I count that? Do I count it as a deposit? They counted it as something, as a deposit of something of value. They were doing something and they thought it as something of value, not as a withdrawal from their lives. Hegesasti. Count it all joy. Count it all joy. The purpose of SEAL training is not to get you in shape. You better be in shape already. That original 500 yard thing, you don't show up and go, well, if I work hard, would you just help me out? No. Can you swim 500 yards? No. Get out. Okay, it is not okay to get you into shape. You already need to be in shape. The purpose of SEAL training is not only to learn your strengths. You come out knowing how strong I am. It's also to learn your limitations. You learn your strengths and you learn your limitations. Like Navy SEALs, we, we as followers of Jesus Christ are going to face our own trials 
We're going to face our own trials. We not only discover when we face our own trials what our strengths and limitations are, but hear this. We not only discover what our strengths, when we go through the trials and we go through those tests and we go through those difficulties, we not only learn what our own strengths and limitations are, but more important than anything else, we understand the unlimited, the limitless power, okay, of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Because we can't do it alone. You don't only learn your own strengths and your own limitations. You learn the unlimited power, the unlimited, incredible strength of your God. And that is what will get you through. That is what you learn. That is what God will teach you. And again, I'm going to come back and say this. You say, well, I want to avoid that. You can't. Because you can't avoid the trials. You can't avoid the temptations. You can't avoid the challenges. You can't avoid the verbal assaults. You can't avoid the abuse. You can't avoid it for the most part. The only question is, how are you going to count it? You can't run from truth. As followers of Jesus Christ, as a follower of Jesus Christ, We need to be ready to face whatever obstacles come our way, knowing that our faith is strong enough to endure whatever we need to face. That's what it boils down to. That's what this whole series boils down to. We need to know that the strength of our Jesus Christ, that that the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ literally flows through our veins. And we need to know whatever we face, that our faith is strong enough to endure it. We can know that. Every victory, with each victory, it builds our faith It builds our faith in God. It builds our trust in God. It builds our confidence in God. It builds our confidence in God for when we face the next trial. You get through, here comes a trial, and you face the next trial, and the next trial, and the next trial. And it gives us faith. It gives us trust. It gives us confidence for when we face the next trial. And my friends, my friends, let me say this one more time. I can guarantee you, I can without a doubt tell you 100%, there will be a next trial. The only question we have to walk away this morning thinking is, how am I going to count it? Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this, just for this time we can spend together. Thank you for this series, Lord God. I pray that we would continue to push on, to strive toward holiness, because it is only in, in striving toward holiness that we will find happiness, that we will find joy, that we will find peace, that we will find contentment, that we will find your son, Jesus Christ. We love you, we praise you, and thank you in his name. Amen. Have a great, great week. Love you guys. Hey, right after this service.